All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do pray for um, both Bill and Bob. Um, Lord, that um, just uh, Steve and Lance had the opportunity to connect with and invite to church. Uh, Lord, indeed, we pray that um, uh, one or both would come and just uh, that we would be able to serve them, um, build into them. Oh, Lord God, we would, we would ask for that and pray for that. Uh, Lord, pray for those who are still making their way here, um, that uh, through the ice and all of that, Lord, that you would protect them and keep them. Lord, we pray today as we um, just uh, finish up looking at um, uh, prophets and even our series on how to interpret the scriptures, uh, how to read the scriptures better, pray that you would bless that to, um, for all of our lives, Lord, that we would be better practicers of reading the scriptures and, and understanding the scriptures and applying the scriptures, oh Lord God. Uh, grow us, we would ask, and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we are uh, going to finish up um, the uh, How to Read the Bible series. We've been going at it for some time, but uh, and we haven't gone near the depth we could have gone into it, but hopefully it's giving just some basic principles such that when you crack open the scriptures, what are we looking for? We're looking for the human author's intent uh, first, and then we're looking at how do we apply it. Uh, and so we've talked about all sorts of different genres. We're ending on prophecy um, as a genre. And so we've talked about that last couple weeks. And now this morning we just want to practice. And we're just going to practice on Isaiah 1. So um, not the whole chapter, uh, just Isaiah 1, 1 through 20. That should be enough. Uh, that's kind of the first main section, uh, the first main thought chunk in the uh, book of Isaiah. I did mention that if you had some extra time this week, you might read in uh, 2 Kings 15 through 20, uh, which it's always a good idea if you're reading um, uh, a prophetic book or any book, really. Um, you can kind of place it in the storyline that the historical books give you. Um, so you're going to especially do that when you're looking at a prophet. So uh, what are you looking for when you're looking at something like 2 Kings 15 through 20? You're just trying to get a feel for what's the political situation, what's the military situation, what's the spiritual situation, what's going on, uh, because that forms the backdrop for what Isaiah is saying. So even before we jump right into Isaiah 1, just any broad uh, um, observations, if you did get to read 2 Kings 15 through 20, any broad observations that you noticed? No, there are not very many good kings, right? Uh, uh, none in Israel, the northern kingdom, and then a few in, uh, uh, in um, uh, Judah. I think yeah, brain's still catching up here. Um, and uh, they're from David's line, uh, but not all the kings from David's line are good. Most of them actually are bad. Uh, okay, so these kings that uh, get mentioned kind of at the beginning of Isaiah 1-1, you probably met them in 2 Kings 15 through 20. Which ones are good and which ones are bad? Ooh. Yeah, so like um, you probably met, in, when you read 2 Kings 15 through 20, you probably met Uzziah or uh, Ahaziah, I can't remember his alternate name, and then Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. So uh, Uzziah, good king, bad king? Good, yeah. yeah, Pretty good king. He's got his own problems, um, for sure. All of them kind of do, but Jotham? I don't remember about Jotham. I think Jotham was good. Yeah, he did what was right. That's what you're looking for, is just that basic idea. Now, Ahaz. Ahaz should be an easier one. Good or bad? No good, right? Um, 
lots of idolatry, lots of false worship, uh, and then you've got a son, Hezekiah, good guy, bad guy. Good guy. Uh, Hezekiah, what a guy, you know, that, that he's, uh, he, um, that's from Sunday school, there you go. Um, but, um, so some good, some bad, just in general, what's the political, military, national situation like in Israel, from what you read in Second Kings, if you got a chance to do that? Yeah, uh, not so much the Babylonians yet, but the, Assyrian, uh, the Assyrians for sure, right? Same basic geographic location, coming from the same basic area, but Assyria is the big bad guy at this time, the Assyrian Empire. In fact, that's a huge backdrop to Isaiah because, and you'll even see it as you walk through the prophecy of Isaiah, that Assyria comes down, they capture the northern kingdom of Israel, take it into exile. We're talking 720s-ish B.C., uh, 722 is the, the marker date there. And then uh, they threaten Judah. Uh, and that's a big, if you read that section, they surround Jerusalem. It looks like it's all over. And then God sends an angel um, because of the trust of Hezekiah to wipe out the army, basically. Um, but uh, a lot of threatening military, political situations happening uh, at this time. So uh, yeah, so those are some basics. Uh, any spiritual um, observations of the people um, uh, from what you may have read in Second Kings? How are they doing spiritually? What's that? It does depend on the king, right? Because as the king goes, so goes the people. That's part of the power and the downfall of having a king. He's supposed to bind people's hearts and following the Lord, but if that's not, if uh, he's disobedient, he actually does the exact opposite. So. Um, it depends on the king. In general, though, we could say people aren't doing well spiritually. Uh, there's some reform under Hezekiah um, and, and such, but in general, it's not good. Um, you know, if you, uh, and you can see that. We will see that in Isaiah 1. Okay? Um, so that's just helpful to get a kind of a broad backdrop before we walk into Isaiah 1. Okay? So first order of business. Let's read it. Um, Someone go ahead and read Isaiah 1, 1 through 6. We'll split it up and we'll, we'll walk through the whole passage. So someone read Isaiah 1, 1 through 6. Okay, someone read 7 uh, through 11.
through 11. Okay, someone read 12 through 17. All right, 18 through 20. Okay, observations and questions. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah are still remembered a long time later, right? Because um, Abraham's around 2,000, so we're talking 1,300 years-ish, 12 to 1,300 years after the event um, that this happened, maybe even a little more. I have to look at the dates for Abraham again, but maybe Abraham's 220s, 2,200s. Um, anyway, good. So, And what's the deal with Sodom and Gomorrah? Like, they're remembered. What are they remembered for? What's that? Yeah, wickedness, total destruction. Like, if you want to say, you want to get the idea of extreme wickedness that's going to earn God's wrath and destruction, you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Um, who is he applying it to? Yeah, God's people. He's applying it to Israel, specifically Judah in the south, right? The the one that has some good kings to it. Um, not, uh, the, he's saying, uh, this, is, this is what you're like. God's saying that, right? Um, okay. What else do you notice? Uh, verse 1. Because we're dealing with the kings. He saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. That's in the south. And he's dealing with the kings of Judah. Yeah. Yep. Good. I mean, it, it's definitely true that if you look at, let's say, um, Israel in the north, I mean, you can look at, they're dealing with a lot of the same issues, although uh, there's some differences there because they've got um, idolatry going with the two golden calves and things like that. 
Um, whereas Judah at least has a, has a temple. They're struggling with idolatry too, but they at least have the rightful temple. Okay. Uh, what else do you notice from 1, 1 through 20? Yeah. Yeah, what, uh, where are you driving that from, Carol? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so he talks about sacrifices, he talks about new moons, Sabbaths, uh, calling convocations, which, um, what's kind of the, what's the backdrop to all of those things? Like, if we wanted to get some specificity regarding those things, where would we go? Leviticus and, you know, the law more generally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are those things required? Does God want those things in general? Well, yeah, because he talked about them in the law. So that's an in- interesting, isn't it, right? That God says, hey, these are the things you're supposed to do, but he doesn't like them here. Um, and that's, that's part of how this builds up, okay? What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's already stuff he talks about. Your land is like this. It's already desolate. It's already got tons of problems. Uh, What's the backdrop for that? Yeah, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, um, and those curses in Deuteronomy 28, right? Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. If you obey the law, you get the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. If you uh, disobey the law, you get the curses of the Abrahamic covenant. They are disobedient. Um, and so they've already experienced some of that, and yet God is warning, there's, there's more coming if you continue to disobey. Okay, what else? Well, I think it's interesting that you know, he goes right at the beginning of you know, 2 through 9, mm-hmm. he says he's describing their state, describing their condition of sin, from the slips of the head. Yeah. And who is he addressing? The rulers. Okay, so that's significant, right? Because, um, yes, is he addressing the people generally? Yeah, it seems so. But he singles out um, the rulers um, as uh, having to deal with this. Okay. Uh, What else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, they've, uh, and he uses that metaphor of children, right? Of, um, I've raised you as children. Um, even we can go back to something like um, Exodus 4:22, where God's, you know, as He's rescuing him 
from Egypt, he says, Israel is my firstborn son, right? And you kind of see that idea even carried over here to an extent. Um, okay, um, what else? Yeah. And that expresses what we talked about when we talk about going to the prophets. Um, there is significant, I mean, judgment um, being pronounced but, uh, and warning, but also there's, it's, um, it's never without hope for the nation. Um, the call is repentance, come back, um, always. So there are some times where a judgment is unavoidable in the sense of like, all right, it's done, you're going into exile, However, even in that, the face of that, there's still a call for people to, to repent, even though you're still going to go through that. But, okay, uh, what, let's ask some questions. Let's ask some good questions about the text. Like, uh, what would help us, what do you want to know about? What confuses you? What, uh, what, what would help us understand the passage better? Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Let's camp on that for a minute, because he, he specifically addresses, like, horizontal relationships. Here's what it looks like, uh, and it is driven by the heart, because the law is driven by the heart, uh, but why would he single out horizontal relationships? Yeah, the vertical flows into the horizontal. So if your horizontal is not there, that means your vertical is not there which is what he addresses earlier on in the chapter, isn't it, right? Uh, you're estranged from me, but how is it showing up? It's showing up not in the, um, the forms of worship, uh, but it is showing up in the relationship in, that you have with others in your life. Um, and he's saying, if you want 
if you want to repent from the heart, then it's also got to be accompanied with those actions stemming from the heart uh, towards your fellow Israelite. Well, let's ask that question. It, does he address the, um, the heart in the, in the whole chapter? And where, right? Where does he address it? Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're estranged. You've left me, right? So he starts there. Um, and that is the back, this is where, um, so you've got that. You've also got the issue of the forms of worship, right? So God does command the forms of worship, but he's saying, I don't like it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it um, because of uh, you're doing the right external thing, um, but then you're, you've got no heart behind it. So he is talking about the heart. He's just not like... Um, it's there, you just, you, um, it's just how he couches it and how he addresses it. But you've got to have both there, right? So if you have a heart for God, you're going to love God, but then you're going to love people. Um, so would God be happy with Mormons who are doing a lot of good for other people, um, seemingly so anyway? Uh, well, no, because it's going to be the same issue as the external forms. You can do good to people, but if you don't have that heart relationship with God. But here he's saying, all right, you're, you're supposed to have a relationship with me. You're doing the external forms, but then you go out and oppress your neighbor, or at least in talking to the rulers here, you're allowing oppression. Um, so you, you, you can't claim to know me um, without dealing with that. True repentance has to involve both the heart and the actions. Uh, Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair, right? So he's saying, you need to do this. Here is what repentance looks like. Why would he say that? Because those are the things you're failing in, right? Those are the things that, driven from the heart, it's not just the externals, right? But it's, um, it's those are the way repentance needs to be demonstrated, right? Um, which is part of um, this whole chapter, right? It's, it's emphasizing that you can have the external forms, but you need the heart, but you also need, with the heart, to have the external forms, it's a both and. Uh, God wants both. Uh, it has to flow from the heart out, but both need to be there. How does repentance look? It needs to look specific. Um, so, yeah.
Um, what, uh, what else do you see? So we kind of got a, a sense of the problem and we've already kind of sort of started to talk about the solution, but like, how does he, in this passage, what, what, what is the solution? What's the, what's the hope? Maybe, maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah, Patricia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and where where at? Yeah. Yeah. Does he elaborate on how that's going to happen? Well, and, and so, yeah, that language is God talking, um, and he's saying, come, let us reason. And it's kind of this idea, let's, let's enter into, um, sometimes it's the use of a lawsuit. Like, all right, let's sit down and let's hash through this. Um, that's kind of what he's talking about. Um, so the, but there is, right, there is that idea of you're coming to me, right, because they're estranged, so that's part of the problem. Um, what else might we say? about that. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so there is that hope of the remnant for sure. As far as like what he's calling them to do, right? There's the hope at the, you especially get it at the end. Let's say starting in 16 through 20, you really start to get the call of how this is bad. This is really, really bad. Um, you know, um, and he doesn't stop here. You can see in verse 21 how he goes on and he's still laying into them. But uh, what is the hope? The hope is, yes, uh, cleansing from sin, uh, does he explain how that happens? Uh, okay, so is it, um, so what did you say, Patricia? I'm sorry, I didn't catch. Yeah, consent and obey. Um, so are we saying then that uh, their obedience is going to for cleanse them from sin? Oh, okay, so you got to be careful. Your, uh, uh, what is the text saying? Because maybe it's saying that, maybe it's not, but what is it saying, right? Um, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, come, let's talk about it, um, he, God is promising, like, uh, he, I mean, it's very clear from the context. Uh, he's saying, though your sins are like scarlet, that's true. Though they are like red like crimson, that's true. They're going to be white as snow, or they can be uh, white as snow, or they can become like wool. Um, so there's this promise here. You've got to turn. There's, there's, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So he is, this is where we got to be like, what's it affirming in terms of he is promising forgiveness. You are not going to be forgiven and cleansed unless you repent in your heart and in your actions. Right. So um, now there's still a question there, right? It's like um, there, there's a question that we could ask. It's like it's, he's calling from repentance. He's calling wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Um, you know, uh, your sins can be as white as snow, like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land, which is kind of referencing those promises of blessing from Deuteronomy 28, because he's saying you're in kind of, you're in curse mode right now, but if you repent, if you turn, there's going to be blessing. Um, if you refuse and rebel, you're going to be eaten by the sword. So you're either going to eat good or you're going to be eaten by the sword. There's kind of a play going on there, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, Julie. Yeah. Good question. Okay. So normally we would come to this, and sometimes you do, you hear it, like we come to this particular passage, um, you know, if your sins are like scarlet, they can be as wool um, or white as snow. And we use that in reference to Christ. Now, here's the key. What's our, what's our, main, what's our main goal when we're interpreting a passage? What's the author's intent? So, um, is Isaiah in this passage seeking to... Um, what's the right word? Is he seeking to talk about Jesus? No, right? Not in this passage. Is he seeking to talk about forgiveness of sins? Yes. And in connection with repentance. So he's emphasizing the repentance side of things. But um, there's, there's questions still, right? Because these things are so bad. The sin is so bad. Um, how is it going to be dealt with? Like, uh, okay, we can repent, but that doesn't necessarily deal with stuff that's already happened. Um, you can also see, I think there's a connection here with what he said earlier, right? Uh, I'm not pleased with your sacrifices, which um, the theology already built up at this point. That's how you get sin cleansed, right? But if you're being, like, you're doing the motions and you're not actually in obedience, then that sacrifice and that cleansing that would come through the temple and through sacrificial system um, stuff isn't, isn't happening, right? But what it starts to do is, remember, we're in Isaiah. What chapter are we in? One, <laughs> right? But it does, even that idea of like, well, how? There's still kind of a question there. Yes, we get, we need to repent. Uh, but how is it that God's going to cleanse us? Um, and that gets answered later, right? So it's not like he is directly using this passage and saying, oh, uh, this is going to be happened through Jesus. But the way he develops the whole book Later, he's going to return to that theme, and he's going to, he's going to show more, because eventually he's going to get to Isaiah 53. Uh, and so, does that make sense? You want to treat this passage. Is he going there yet? No, but he's setting up the framework that will later be answered in his own book. Yeah, Marianne.
Sure. It's more about the question of what is he trying to do in this passage, right? So there's lots of truths that could be taught from other passages, right? Like we know that cleansing of our sins ultimately comes only through the atonement of Christ. But that's not what this passage is teaching, right? Um, You want to hear what this passage is teaching, uh, which is primarily uh, God confronting Israel and saying, you are in deep sin, and uh, how, what's the hope? The hope is repentance, reestablish the relationship. I'm going to cleanse your sin. So there's an element of faith even in that, right? Like you just kind of have to trust that God says, I'm going to cleanse you from your sin. I'm going to make you as white as snow, though you're in really bad shape right now. But what is the call? What's the call to the people? Repentance and action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so now let's try to switch gears. We kind of got a basic handle on the passage. I mean, there's more that could be said. There's more we could delve into. But let's now try to transition appropriately. And this is tricky with the prophets because we are not Israel. We are not Judah. Um, We are not in the same situation. uh, But we have to transition from where the passage is headed and what are implications um, for for us? What are legitimate implications? You think to do the action you have to do them have to do them have to them. Mm-hmm. And so <coughs> that takes kind of a first step for all of us. Mm-hmm. To see ourselves more like God. Okay. Yeah. True enough, right? Yeah. So there's that recognition of who we are and what God declares us um, to be. Are we in, let's, let's, let's be specific. So we want to apply to us. So are we in gross idolatry um, as, a, as a church? No, <laughs> not in the same way. However, right, like to, to Rachel's point, um, there is the, what it's, what's going on in our heart, right? So whether it's external, whether it's, it's ultimately the internal that needs to be seen and dealt with. So there's that. Uh, what else? What else could we draw um, from the passage? Yeah. What kind of character do we see of God here? Yeah, what does he hate? Oh, good, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, passive worship, going through the motions. The motions aren't bad, but when they're done without the heart, they're bad, right? That's, that's the issue, is the heart behind it. Um, so uh, that needs to, uh, that would be a good examination of our heart. Are we going through the motions, or do we want to do, uh, is, it, is it so that um, we love God and it's coming out of that? 
Yeah, yeah. Ned. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So you, the vertical has to flow into horizontal. Now, what's the flip side to that emphasis, right? The heart has to be there. You can't just do things by rote. What's the flip side of that that's also to, this passage is pushing us towards? Yeah, Genevieve. Right. It is, right? Now, let's be careful here. Because does God want that to happen? Yes. God wants us to stand up for those who can't. Uh, he wants us to do good. So we can't... See, see, what happens is you can fall off on either side of the horse, right? So on one side of the horse, you've got the... You've taken social justice to the extreme. Does God love social justice? Absolutely he does. He talks a lot about it in the prophets. Why does he talk about it? Because if you have the proper vertical relationship with God, that's going to flow out into love of neighbor. So that means that you've got to care about that. If you don't, then you're not connect, you're, you don't know God, right? Because that's part of God's heart. On the other side, the reaction, right? This is pendulum swings. This is how humans are, right? The pendulum swing is like, we don't need to worry about social justice at all. We just need to preach the gospel. And I, there's truth to that, and yet there's also a, decept, there's a deception to that, right? Because if I'm just going to say, yeah, I need to have my vertical in place, and that's all I'm focused on. I'm purely focused on the vertical, and that doesn't translate at all into horizontal action, doing stuff. Like if you just say, well, I've... My relationship with God is good, and that's all I need to worry about. There's a deception to that, because um, God wants action, action from the heart. Both have to be there. And this passage emphasizes both and holds them in tension. Uh, do you see that? See how that works? So on the flip side, you could look at your life and say, well, I might, I might have right thoughts about God. Uh, I know him through Christ. Am I doing? Am I acting? If I'm not, if my life's not changed, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Um, that's what, uh, that's part of what this passage is teaching. Yeah. Diotrophies. I don't remember that from the epistles of John. Well, the, that, the gist he gives is the reason why he's opposing John is because John is doing this horizontal work and he's not approving that horizontal work. Mm, I 
think it says it's because he doesn't accept his authority. But we can look at that later. But the truth is, in John, like First John is very clear that, like, um, you, you, you know, he's, like, you could talk about First John, um, what is it, 2 or 3, where he says, um, you know, uh, whoever says, I love God but hates his brother is a liar, right? And it's the same mentality that this is talking about. Like, uh, you got to have both. You got to have both, yeah. So you, a question we could all ask from this passage is, how am I loving my neighbor within the church and external to the church? Because if that's not in place, I've got a problem. There's something going wrong in my relationship with God if that's not demonstrated. Yeah. But there has to be a how. There has to be a both, right? There has to be tangible, concrete action uh, coming out of your life. Uh, if there's not, there's a problem. Uh, and that's, you know, that's part of what's going on here. Yeah. 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 God has no problem confronting people, right? Um, and calling them out, uh, and it's kindness to call them out because He wants them to repent. Like He's shaking them by the shoulders and like, guys, wake up! <laughs> uh, I I want to do good to you. Um, that's what He's saying, right? He does that to us. Yeah, he uses us. He's Isaiah in this process. He's going to use us in other people's lives, which is what we're going to talk about in this morning's sermon. Good connection. Um, one other thing uh, I want to point out. Um, sometimes um, you, it would be easy to take this passage and say, well, see, America is as wicked as Israel, and so if we just repent as, like Israel, then God's going to bless us, and it's going to be great. Legitimate, illegitimate. Illegitimate. Why? Yeah, America's not in a covenant with, with God. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. God has blessed the country, but that doesn't mean we are in a covenant relationship with him, right? So you think of that blessings for obedience, um, curses for disobedience. That has a covenantal backdrop. There's a relationship established there between a nation and um, nation. So that's why, you know, you hear that verse, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Oh, I hate when people quote that on the 4th of July. Because he's, he's talking about Israel, right? Uh, it's a bad a application. Um, and so at, you will be tempted as you are working through the prophets, because God is talking to sinful nations and saying, well, if they would repent, everything's going to go well. You're tempted to transfer that over to our nation, uh, which God has blessed, but not because of a covenantal relationship. And so you really got to be careful with that one. That's just a prevalent one, and I bring it up so that you're, you're careful to avoid that. So, yeah, Eden. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. So God, uh, America's God's tool. He'll use it, and when he's done with it, it'll go the wayside just like Assyria and Babylon and all the rest of them did. So, all right, Bruce, and then we'll, we'll call it. Now, could we apply that to the church? Like, if the church is going astray, church is not Israel, that's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that the church is in co- it's the new covenant people, right? And so uh, there's more parallels there and appropriate parallels than you've got this merger between, um, you know, Israel as uh, a nation and also a covenant people, whereas in our context, the church is an embassy of the future kingdom, but it's not connected with the political nation in uh, which we live. Um, so there's differences there that you have to respect, when, especially when you're applying the prophets. So um, another, just since we're talking about a, a verse, that's the problem is that, that what Bruce just mentioned, taking, just plucking a verse Right? I hope you've seen through this whole time that you can't just pluck a verse. Because you start plucking a verse, it's not that individual verses don't, um, aren't helpful and good and that we shouldn't memorize them and things like that, but you've got to understand a context right, um, so that you're handling them rightly. Another famous one, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he's talking about them going into exile and it's, it's him telling them in Jeremiah, it's going to be okay, you're going to come out, right? So again, there's a context, and you've got to be very careful um, to be, a, as Second Timothy 2.15 would say, a workman approved, rightly handling the Word of God. I have no need to be ashamed, because you're rightly handling the Word of God. You don't handle it rightly, you have, do have cause to be ashamed, right? Um, and so it's a serious business uh, when we're reading and applying the Scriptures. So, All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to just try to get better at reading the scriptures and applying the scriptures. Um, Lord, we pray that we would not be a people who go through the forms only and don't have no heart for you. Oh, Lord, guard us from that. Um, keep us passionate for you, loving you, and Lord, then let that flow out into loving one another, loving our neighbors, doing concrete good, um, to those around us within the church and also ex- outside of the church. Um, but ultimately, because we love you and because we want to see you glorified, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth that our sins, each one of us, our sins are like scarlet. Um, they are red, um, and yet you have made them like snow. Uh, you have made them like wool in the sight of God so that we can approach in confidence Uh, because of your atonement, your atonement, your sacrifice, which has cleansed us, uh, um, and our union with you. um, Our old life is, we are dead to our old life, and we're alive to you through your resurrection. Um, We praise you for that, and we pray that we would have joyful hearts as we come to the gathering this morning to worship you. We ask these things and pray them. Uh, We pray for next week as we start looking at knowing you and knowing your attributes Lord, as we focus on you, oh Lord God, the doctrine of God, that you would bless that time, that that would be rich, and that you, you would grow our understanding of you, uh, that we might know you, worship you, obey you, um, uh, and
and praise you for the gospel. We praise these, pray these things and ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen.